Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Discovery. Time flies when you're learning super cool stuff. I'm Nate. And I'm Callie. If you're dropping in for the first time, welcome to Curiosity, where we aim to blow your mind by helping you to grow your mind. If you're a loyal listener, welcome back. Today, you'll learn about a successful moon landing that could launch another space race, an answer to the age-old debate about whether you should marry for love or for money, and a 250 million-year-old human-sized armored sea lizard. Without further ado, let's satisfy some curiosity. Earlier this summer, India joined a very exclusive club when it became the fourth nation ever to successfully soft land a spacecraft on the surface of the moon. I heard about this moon landing, but I didn't realize they were only the fourth nation to set up stakes on the moon. Yeah. The former Soviet Union and China have felt the lunar dust between their mechanical lunar lander toes, and so far the only human footsteps up there belong to Americans. We last set foot on the moon in 1972. So if we were landing people up there over 50 years ago, why on earth has it taken so long for everyone else to even land a machine on the moon? And for that matter, why did we stop sending people? I mean, it's the moon. (laughs) Those are some good questions. There are a few really solid reasons we haven't been back and why it's taken everyone else so long to get there. The biggest reason is that it's just really, really hard to land on the moon. Okay, but we actually landed people on the moon, so how hard can it be? Okay, we spent an extraordinary amount of money and energy to do that back in the 1960s and 70s. And the U.S. was in a pretty unique position to do that as one of the only global superpowers. And once we got there, we made some great discoveries and pushed the boundaries of science, but we sort of lost interest. Or at least we lost the will to keep spending so much money and energy on it, right? Exactly. Our eyes turned elsewhere. We started sending satellites well beyond the moon and into the solar system. And then we started thinking about a new target. Uh, Mars? Yeah. I mean, who needs the dusty old moon when you can dream of walking on an entirely new planet? I mean, I think Mars is also pretty dusty, but uh, yeah, I get it. I can appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah. So fast forward to 2009. That was the year that scientists confirmed that there was actually water on the moon. In the, yeah, I've been following it. It's in the form of ice, especially at the poles, right? Exactly. And that's exactly where India sent its Chandrayaan-3 mission with its Vikram lander and the rover they call the Pragyan. After landing successfully earlier this summer, they intend to begin exploring the moon's south pole in the hopes of finding that water. And it's that water that's starting this new race to the moon. Sure. Having water on the moon seems like it would be a big deal. Actually, it would be the biggest deal. Not only would it provide future moon dwellers with a nice, life-giving beverage, but you could also use that hydrogen from the old H2O as a fuel source. This is the kind of discovery that could very likely lead to human settlements in space. When you put it that way, why isn't everyone already on the moon? Okay, that's the thing. Everyone's trying. But remember how I said it's really hard to land on the moon? This year alone, a Russian mission failed when its lander crashed into the surface, and Japan's Hakuto-R Mission 1 lander was also lost. Israel lost a lander a few years ago, and India's Chandrayaan-2 was also a failure. Okay, so why is it 
so hard to land on the moon. Okay, well, if you recall, we were able to land rovers on Mars with the help of parachutes, but parachutes depend on something that the moon is lacking. Uh, air? (laughs) If your world doesn't have an atmosphere, you're not going to be doing much skydiving. So when we land on the moon, we have to rely on rocket thrusters, and those can be tough to operate remotely, especially because there's this lag between the moon and the control room on Earth, and it's about two and a half seconds. When you're trying to use rockets to land a spacecraft, those two and a half seconds might as well be two and a half years. Yeah, but we've landed on asteroids. They don't have atmospheres, and they're further away, right? Yeah, but they don't have the gravity of the moon. Um, Believe it or not, when they land on things like comets or asteroids, the biggest worry isn't crashing, it's bouncing off into space. (laughs) Okay. Well, all right, my mind is officially blown. So... When is the United States going back? Like, are are we going to join this new space race or what? Yeah. We've talked about the Artemis program on the show in the past. The United States has already sent a probe into orbit around the moon. And as part of that program, we want to send the first woman to orbit the moon in the coming years. Beyond that, our goal is to establish a base up there to use as a stepping stone to Mars. I mean, I'd be happy just like hanging out on the moon with a nice glass of moon water. Okay, not so fast. For now, all eyes are on the Chandrayaan-3, whose successful mission is a huge accomplishment. Not just for India, but for the world. As countries race to land rovers and humans on the moon, India's success reminds us of the ingenuity required and motivates us to reach for the stars. You're totally right. Each small step for a robot brings us closer to a giant leap for mankind. If you had to guess, would you say more people marry for love or for money? I mean, I want to be the optimist here and say love. I mean, money isn't bad either, but I'd still guess that most people marry for love. It's a good guess, and it's an age-old question that has puzzled philosophers, poets, novelists, and pop stars for centuries. (laughs) Maybe another way to think about this is, which factor plays the most significant role when we make our romantic choices? Our feelings of love toward the other person, or how we perceive their financial security? Okay, when you put it that way, it's a little squishier, isn't it? Uh, Totally. But when you look at studies asking questions like this, one thing becomes absolutely clear. Nobody really has a good answer. (laughs) Okay, I was hoping for some wisdom here. Okay, okay. We might not be much closer to figuring out why people choose one partner over another, but a recent article in Psychology Today does bring some wisdom into the discussion. Okay, I'll get out my notepad. Let's start with some studies. One survey found that about 56% of Americans preferred a romantic partner who could provide financial security. Over someone who could provide, like, love? Yeah. Only 44% of respondents said they'd prefer that special head-over-heels kind of feeling. That's kind of surprising. Well, just wait. That's just one study. Another study found that 75% of women said they wouldn't tie the knot with a guy unless he had a job. Okay, that's that's kind of not surprising. Well, and yet another survey found that 91% of single women would absolutely marry for love rather than money. <laughs> what? Okay, no, now I'm just confused. Don't all of these results contradict each other? You are catching on. Our preferences in a romantic partner are built on an incredibly complex web of desires, wants, and needs. So it's far from black or white. Sure. I mean, nobody wants to be poor, but we also might not think of wealth as the only measure for who we'd want to spend our lives with. Exactly. It turns out that there's a magic threshold of acceptable finances we all have in mind. If a potential partner is broke, they're out. But once they cross that wealth line, the rest doesn't matter much. 
So long as your partner can provide, you know, that minimum amount, love becomes the biggest factor. But check this out. When it comes to wealth, researchers have found that a higher income tends to be associated with less daily sadness. So we want that, right? Mm, but it's not associated with more happiness. <laughs> I'm just confused again. Ah, nobody said love was easy, but there are a couple of tips for navigating this chaos. First, it's important to play the long game. If there's a choice between a partner who is able to support you and one who is willing to support you, they say go for the one who's willing. Yeah, that makes sense. It feels like a good relationship is built on a desire to support each other and not like a requirement. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Another thing is to choose a partner because you love them, not because you think they're going to make you wealthy, even if they could, in fact, make you wealthy. Yeah, that's a little trickier. Think of it this way. If you like them because you think they could be a ladder to a successful life or career, it's probably not as sustainable as if you like them because, you know, you just like them. Gotcha. It's important to like them for who they are and not what they can give you. Yep. And finally, it's important to remember that financial stability is actually tied to emotional wellness. But it's also worth noting that being emotionally happy in our relationships has been shown to increase our ability to be successful in our finances. Okay, so if you marry someone for money, you might not be emotionally happy, which could actually lead to being less successful. If love depends on money, when the money goes away, the love goes with it. Well, those are some deep words of wisdom. You should start a dating advice column. Ooh, do dating advice columns, like, pay a lot of money to their writers? <laughs> are you trying to pass that threshold of acceptable finances? And I play the guitar, so. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Imagine you're taking a nice dip in the shallow ocean waters just off the shore, and suddenly, a giant armored spiny and plump creature glides up alongside you. It's got paddles for arms and legs and thick scales and plates, and it's just about as big as you are. I would say it's time to... Get out of the water and get back to the beach. But that doesn't sound like anything I've seen before. Well, you wouldn't be alone. Scientists had never seen it either until they discovered a partial skeleton of it in South China recently. And get this, it's estimated to be around 250 million years old, and its discovery could change everything we know about the evolution of marine reptiles. I do love stories of newly discovered ancient species. So this one sounds pretty weird looking like plump and spiny and armored with like so paddles for arms mm -hmm. sure all right but what makes this one like so special that is a great question so there's a name for it and i wrote it down because this is ridiculous to pronounce but they call it the prosaurus fargus yingzi shaughnessus or the p yingzi shaughnessus <laughs> sure yes uh -huh. um i don't have to know how to spell that do i I would never. Okay, so like I said, it's a pretty cool creature. Uh, judging from the parts that they found, they think it probably looked like a cross between a turtle and a crocodile. I think kind of a 
fat crocodile with a spiny shell. Sounds like the villain from like a 1950s fantasy movie or something. <laughs> it came from the deep. Uh, actually, no. So uh, the P. yingzi shaughnessus swam in the shallows. But in any case, this species is the oldest known member of the Saurus fargidae family of marine reptiles. Saurus means lizard, and Sphargus was the old genus name for the leatherbacked turtle. Ah, lizard turtle. <laughs> that kind of sounds like the one they just discovered, whose name I will not try to pronounce. <laughs> Maybe I'll just call him P. Yingy. Fair, but yes. that's a great comparison. And the thing is, uh, P. Yingy, uh, the newly discovered species, isn't just like the Saurus fargidae family. It's also like another group of extinct marine reptiles, the Sauropterygians. You don't necessarily need to remember the names of all of these groups of marine reptiles. Thank goodness. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, it wouldn't happen. <laughs> but the new findings suggest that these groups of marine reptiles might all be more closely related than scientists thought. And that would mean that all these extinct animals might just be a little bit more closely related to some living species of turtles, crocodilians, and even some bird species than we thought possible. So let me get this straight. Are you saying that scientists find a few bones and then they're just forced to rethink 250 million years of reptile evolution? That's that's kind of the long and short of it. And all because of a plump, sturdy swimmer with some spiny armor and some paddle feet. P. Yingy, the latest ancient marine reptile pop star to hit the charts? <laughs> Yes. P. Yingy is the latest 250 million year old to break out of the ocean shallows. Overall, this discovery shakes up ideas about marine reptile evolution and shows how new fossil finds can overturn old assumptions in paleontology. More surprises likely await as we explore the ancient seas of 250 million years ago. Let's recap what we learned today to wrap up. India became the fourth member of the Moon Landing Club when their Chandrayaan-3 spacecraft stuck the landing earlier this summer, proving once again the moon isn't exactly a cakewalk, but the view sure is worth it. Their rover will begin exploring the lunar south pole in search of water. Love and money make strange bedfellows. While most claim love trumps money, studies show financial security boosts romantic prospects and arguments about money often lead to divorce. So maybe the key is finding a soulmate who can also foot the bills. A new species of five-foot-long ancient armored sea croc named Prosars fargus was discovered in China, overturning old notions about marine reptile family trees and hinting these creatures' body armor was key for ruling prehistoric shallow seas 250 million years ago. This discovery makes paleontologists excited to keep searching the ancient ocean floors to reveal more surprises that can rewrite the evolutionary history books. Curiosity Daily is produced by Wheelhouse DNA for Discovery. You can find our show wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd love if you could leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Our Discovery Executive Producer is Christina Bavetta. Our Wheelhouse DNA Executive Producer is Cassie Berman. This show is hosted by Callie Gade and Nate Bonham. Our producer is Kiara Noni, and our associate producer is Kimaya Floyd. Writing is done by Jed Bookout and Sam Osterhout. Our researcher is Marla Friedson. Sound design, audio engineering, and editing by Nick Carissimi. I'm Nate Bonham. And I'm Callie Gade. We'll see you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.